Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Iroquois traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. A warning, today's myth contains discussions of genocide. Please exercise caution for all listeners under 13. Not again, not again. Orenda ran through the underbrush, eyes searching the moon-dappled darkness. It was well past midnight. The field around her was still. She'd been awakened moments earlier by a shadow, a flicker of motion outside the tent she shared with her two sisters, Kanwakari and Tala. It was then that she'd realized that only Tala was lying beside her. Kanwakari's tracks led out through the field where they lived and into the woods beyond. Orenda's heart raced. She couldn't let them be separated, not ever. Finally, the tracks ended at the bank of the river. Kanwakari stood there, her bright yellow dress visible even in the dim light of the stars. Still panting, Arenda walked up to stand beside her sister. Kanwakari was holding something in her hands. One of these days, I'm just going to let you go. No, you won't. You'd be lost without us. If you could swim, I might find that a believable threat. Come back to bed, little sister. Look what I found. Dead leaves. So what? Not dead. Blighted. We should move before a crop becomes infected. Is this why you ran out in the middle of the night? To frighten me about our crops? You know I get restless. And you know that this is hardly an excuse to move. A few rotten leaves do not mean we're going to suffer from a blight. Though she was relieved that her sister hadn't gone far, Orenda still felt annoyed that she was trying so hard to get them to move. The field may not have been perfect, but it was theirs, Orenda reasoned. As the eldest, she knew what was best, and they couldn't leave right after planting all their crops for the summer. She told her sister as much, and grudgingly, Kanwakari went back to their tent, shoulders slumped. By the time they returned, their youngest sister Tala was awake, her eyes peering out of the shadows like two full moons. Where did you go, Kanwakari? She went to check on the crops. Why? I thought some looked rotten. Are they dying? No, little Tala. Plants get sick just like people do. We should all go back to sleep. Under the watchful eye of their elder sister, Kunwakari and Tala lay down and went to sleep. Arenda breathed a sigh of relief and went to shut the flap of their tent. She paused at the entrance, looking out onto the field. She had told the child that there was nothing to worry about, but that was not true, strictly speaking. Arenda was deeply worried, but not for the health of their plants. While out searching for her sister in the dark, she had spotted something she did not expect. There were strange round imprints in the soil beside her sister's tracks, which couldn't have been more than a few hours old. A second pair of footprints. There was a stranger in their field. 
Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today, we're telling the story of the Three Sisters. This Native American parable gives a mythological root to the farming practices of the Iroquois tribes and reinforces the importance of staying true to your culture. Coming up, we'll begin the story of the Three Sisters. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. One of the most powerful and influential forces in pre-colonial America was the indigenous people known as the Iroquois, or Haudenosaunee. They're not a single tribe, but rather a confederation of several tribes, including the Oneida, Mohawk, Onondaga, Seneca, and Cayuga. The Tuscarora people would join them in 1722, and they would become known as the Six Nations Confederacy to outsiders. Some estimates place the founding of this confederation in 1142, which would make the Iroquois one of the oldest participatory democracies on the planet. Their numbers have dwindled, but their cultural identity has survived despite centuries of colonialism and oppression. Their myths are an expression of their cultural roots and practices and are still taught to this day, even if they're most commonly appreciated as a metaphor. Today's story is more of a parable than a myth, an educational legend intended to teach about how the culture of the Iroquois thrived for so many generations. The characters are not gods or even spirits in the traditional sense. They're personified plants. To quote folklorist Harriet Maxwell Converse, in all the Iroquois myths, the natural and the supernatural are so closely blended that they seem of one realm. It's in this spirit that we're retelling the story of the Three Sisters, a tale of three girls, not quite human, but not quite spirits either. They sustain life for the Haudenosaunee people, but only after they've had time to grow on their own. Together, these three sisters represent the three pillars of Iroquois agriculture. There was an intruder in their field. Orenda knew it ever since late spring when she found an unusual footprint in the earth. All summer long, she kept her eyes peeled for some glimpse of the stranger who left it. But her patience had so far gone unrewarded. One day, as Arenda was checking their corn, squash, and bean plants for signs of blight, she heard her younger sister Tala calling to her. Tala's legs were weak, and she needed to lean on a stick to prop herself up when she walked through the fields. What are you looking at, Arenda? Nothing, Tala. Go back to your game. But you said you would play with me. In a moment, little Tala. Arenda sighed. 
She envied how carefree Tala could be. While she was focusing on keeping them alive, Tala had the freedom to be a child. She supposed it was better than running off all the time as Kanwakari insisted on doing. All summer long, Orenda had to be both caretaker and rescuer, until the cold winter forced her sisters to stay put. There was little room for fun in her life. Where's Kanwakari? <sighs> She's probably run off again. Mm, she'll be back. Well, you're very certain. She couldn't leave us for good. She loves us too much. I miss having that kind of optimism. As it turned out, Kanwakari hadn't run away. She'd gone on an adventure of her own. When she returned, she was breathless, shaking with excitement, and with a look in her eyes that Arenda was not expecting. Fear. There's a boy in our field! A boy? Doing what? I'm not sure. What do boys do? Show me where. Kanwakari led them to the very edge of the field, where the plants grew the tallest. One by one, they all crouched behind it. Kanwakari pointed. Sure enough, by the very edge of the forest was a boy. He was about as tall as Arenda, but was far from a man. He was staring up at the sky, watching an eagle circle above him. He held a knife in one hand and a bow in the other. As they watched, small animals of all kinds gathered around him. Young foxes, shrews, and chipmunks. Instead of attacking, the boy knelt and spoke to them. He was too far away for the sisters to hear what he said, but the animals seemed to respect him. He looks like one of us. We've been over this, Tala. He's a human. Aren't we human too? <sighs> they are the children of the Sky Woman. We were born from the Sky Woman's grave. Doesn't that make us her children as well? Yes and no. The Earth gives us all life, but that doesn't make us all the same. I don't understand. The animals seem to like him. Well, we aren't animals. Who knows what he'd do if he knew we were here? Maybe we should say hello. No, we should watch and wait. Maybe he'll just go away. The three sisters spent all day observing this strange boy. He didn't do much except run about the field, occasionally shooting arrows into the sky from his bow. Arenda couldn't tell if they were aimed at anything. When the sun dipped to its lowest point, they lost sight of him altogether. It was almost as if he had vanished into thin air. But Arenda wasn't taking any chances. They kept their fire low that night and ate quickly. Tala went to sleep almost immediately, exhausted from a day of curiosity. The other two lay awake for a while longer. They were silent at first, listening to the crickets outside. Finally, Kanwakari spoke up. What's the plan? We stay cautious and keep an eye out for that boy. Hopefully, he will go away, or the other people will collect him. And if they don't? If you're going to use this as an excuse to get us to move... It's not an excuse if we're not safe here. Where would we go? What if we desert our fields because of this one boy, only to discover that the rest of the world is infested with his kind? 
You can't know that for sure. Haven't you ever wanted to see the world, Orenda? Live beyond the confines of this meager plot of land? The world is dangerous, Conwakari. We cannot let our fears cloud our judgment. You're one to talk. Orenda could not sleep. Seeing the boy had made the danger of the world feel more present than ever before. She and her sisters had grown from the Sky Woman's grave, and they were tasked with guarding the secrets of the Earth. Their connection to the Sky Woman gave them great power and allowed their crops to flourish. But that relation couldn't make them immortal. Mankind and beasts were everywhere, and if given the chance, they would tear her family apart. When she finally did fall asleep, her dreams were haunted by visions of gnashing teeth. Monstrous hands tore her green shawl away from her and ripped her golden hair out by its roots. Monstrous jaws dug into her flesh, working up and down her body. She tried to plead with them to stop, but bald, naked, and flayed, she hardly felt like a person anymore. She felt like food. The morning sun obliterated the nightmare an instant after it had begun. Though she hardly felt rested, exhaustion was preferable to the tormenting dream. But this comfort vanished a moment later when she rolled over to check on her sisters. Kunwakari was still fast asleep, a pleasant smile on her face. Tala was gone. Coming up, the search begins. Hey listeners, I want to take a quick moment to introduce you to the newest ParCast original on the block. It's called Incredible Feats, and it's a short weekday show hosted by comedian Dan Cummins. Every weekday, Dan shares a true account of physical strength, mental focus, or genuine bizarre behavior, going behind the scenes and into the achievements of world-class athletes like Dean Carnassus, who once ran for nearly 81 hours without stopping, and performance artists like Lucky Diamond Rich, who boasts layers of tattoos in the most unlikely places, and even everyday people thrown into extraordinary circumstances, like Juliana Kopka, who was forced to survive alone in a rainforest for 11 days. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. New episodes air daily, Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. Since the dawn of civilization, the growth and success of any group have been tied to its agriculture. Once human beings learned to cultivate crops instead of going meal to meal, we began to develop beyond the basic needs of survival. The Iroquois Confederacy was a thriving agricultural community by the time European outsiders arrived in North America. Yet despite their vast success, much of their agriculture was built on a system of three complementary crops. Each of these was from a different crop family, so a single pest or disease could not irreparably damage their harvest. These plants were known collectively by the name Deohako, or the Three Sisters. Kunwakari awakened to the panic face of her older sister. 
Orenda's golden hair was a wild mane, and her hands were shaking uncontrollably. Conwakari, wake up! We have to find her! Orenda, what's going on? She can't have gone far. She can barely walk. Who? What are you talking about? It's Tala. She vanished in the middle of the night, and I don't know where she went. Kanwakari was on her feet in a moment, suddenly filled with energy. She'd always yearned for a chance to explore the world and see sights beyond their modest patch of land. But she couldn't believe that their youngest sister had run away on her own. Just outside the entrance to their tent, they found a stick lying on the earth. A chill ran up Kanwakari's spine. This was the stick that Tala used to support herself while playing in the field since she wasn't strong enough to walk on her own. Strange, rounded footprints led off toward the tree line. The two sisters looked at each other. Without a single word spoken, they knew they had the same suspicion. That the boy they saw yesterday had taken their sister. Before either of them could speak aloud, a clap of thunder rolled through the sky. Kunwakari's eyes widened as terror crossed the face of her elder sister. The air was thick with moisture, the kind of atmosphere that preceded a rainstorm. The clouds closed in above them as they sprinted after the footprints. The dirt grew slick beneath their feet. Kunwakari slipped and plummeted toward the muddy ground. She put her hands out in front of her and landed wrist deep in the muck. By the time she fought her way to her feet, rain was pouring all around her, and her elder sister had vanished into the trees after the rapidly disappearing footprints. Kanwakari stared after Arenda, not sure whether to follow or not. She'd run away countless times, but she had never gone far. Her love of her sisters had always stopped her. She didn't want to lose herself in the woods, but couldn't in good conscience abandon the search. She was saved from this horrible dilemma when Arenda emerged from the trees, soaking wet, but somehow still standing tall. The trail washed away. I don't know where they've gone. We can barely see past our noses in this weather. Let's get out of the rain and start again when it's dry. They'll be miles away by then, if she's even still alive. Oh, don't say such a thing. Why not? That may have been a boy we saw the other day, but where there are boys, there are men. Men who would kill us without a second thought. You don't know that. We've never given them cause to hurt us. Perhaps Tala just wanted to play with someone closer to her own age. And she's just as likely drowned as kidnapped. The rain poured all that day and into the next. The two sisters huddled in their tent, stoking a low fire for warmth. By the time the clouds had broken and scattered to the winds, there was not a shred of evidence left that there had ever been a third sister. They combed every inch of their field looking for Tala, venturing as far as they dared. But they found no sign of her. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. Cold fall winds drew in, and any chance of seeing their sister seemed to grow more remote with each passing moment. Kanwakari, it's been long enough. 
We have to hold a funeral. We can't. We don't know she's dead. It doesn't matter. If we do not mourn our sister properly, her spirit will be denied entrance to the spirit world. I don't want to give up hope any more than you, but I will not let Tala become an aimless wanderer. I know it hurts, but we have to move on. We can do both. We will mourn her spirit, but then we will continue to search. We haven't seen her since the summer. <sighs> Fine. Will you please just help me build a funeral pyre so we know she isn't suffering wherever she is? If you insist, but I'm not giving up on her. They built a small funeral pyre and threw Tala's meager possessions onto the flames. Her doll, the stick she used to lean on, her blanket. It wasn't much, but it was enough to remind them of their sister. As the objects blackened and crumbled away, tears rolled down both the sisters' cheeks. Conwakery told herself over and over again that this was just a precaution, but it still felt so final. Wherever she was, she hoped Tala was happy. Conwakery continued to search for her younger sister for a time, but as winter approached, she was forced to turn her attention to more pressing matters. The blight had infected their bean plants. Conwakery and Arenda hurried to cut down a number of the plants to keep the infection from spreading to the rest of the crop. They were relieved when the gambit seemed to work. They would have less food for the coming year, but it would be enough, especially now that there were only two of them. Then one day, the boy came back. They spotted him by the river, plucking reeds. Just as before, the sisters watched from a safe hiding place. We should ambush him, while we still have the element of surprise. Not so fast, sister. If he was the one who took Tala, then he already knows we live here. He could be trying to draw us into the water and uh, drown us. We can't just do nothing. This is our chance to find out what happened to her. Shh. The boy looked up, eyes scanning the trees. The sisters stood as still as they could in the brush. Conwakery tried as hard as she could to read some emotion in the boy's expression. Malice, fear, suspicion, anything. But his eyes were frustratingly blank. They were simply the eyes of a curious child. Moments later, he went back to work, cutting away at the reeds with his stone knife. In the end, neither sister was willing to take the lead and attack the boy. Despite their suspicions, they couldn't be certain that he was the one who took their sister all those months ago. So they slunk back to their home, where they bundled up against the cold. Say, Arenda? Yes? Are you still against us finding a new home? Do you think we're in any state to move? I think there doesn't seem to be a whole lot keeping us here. The harvest is coming and I don't think Tala's coming back. You were right. We need to move on. What do you say? I'm not sure. I'll think about it. You're never sure. Orenda had a knot in her stomach. 
If she was being honest, she wasn't sure why she insisted on staying anymore. She had given up hope of Tala ever coming home long ago. She knew that part of her was hanging onto the field because its familiarity made her feel safe. Even if her sister's disappearance had shown that safety to be an illusion. Perhaps Conwalkery was right. Perhaps it was time for them to move on. Arenda rolled and was about to say something when the sound of her sister's snores filled the tent. Relieved, she turned away and shut her eyes. They could talk about it in the morning. When Arenda woke up, she was alone. She searched the ground around the tent, but found no footprints or evidence of where Conwakery had gone. The earth was growing hard with frost, so tracking her younger sister would be impossible. Was this it? She wondered. Had Conwakery finally ran away for good? Arenda stood in the field, staring off into the woods as the wind blew her golden hair this way and that. She felt the chill but did not shiver. Without the rebellious spirit of Conwakery or the hopefulness of Tala, Arenda was left listless and hollow. She had promised them that they would never be separated, and she had failed them all. Coming up, Arenda disappears as well. Now, back to the story. Arenda was alone. It seemed like only yesterday she was living alongside her two sisters without a care in the world. Sure, Conwakery regularly tried to run away from home, and Tala was always badgering her to play, but they always had each other. Now, she had nothing left but a field of corn in the rapidly encroaching cold. Her sisters had vanished without explanation. The only clue was the coming and going of a strange Mohawk boy. Orenda imagined what she would do if she saw that boy now. She would take him by the neck and demand to know what he did to her sisters. She spied some of the corn on the edge of her field growing black and was quick to pull it up. The rot reminded her of a warning that Conwakery had given her, that Blight would soon take the field, forcing them to move on to a new home. But moving would mean giving up hope, not of finding her sisters. Arenda was certain that they were dead, but she had to know what had happened to them. Arenda decided that she had had enough. She would find the boy and make him tell her the truth. Orenda marched resolutely toward the forest, fists clenched. The icy air bit at her skin, but she ignored it. She was a daughter of the Sky Woman, just like the humans who took her sister away from her. She deserved to know what happened. She reached the river in mere minutes. The water was dark, and a powerful current carried large chunks of ice swiftly past. Orenda had never crossed this natural barrier, but if she was to find out what happened to her sisters, she knew she didn't have another choice. She stepped into the river. <gasps> the water was ice cold, seeping right through her shawl and setting her teeth on edge. But Orenda was committed. She stepped forward, each effort bringing the chill further up her body. 
It was deeper than she anticipated. Her legs were soon numb and stinging as she forced them forward. The water crawled up her chest with frigid claws until it was lapping her chin. The current pushed against her legs, causing her feet to slide on the soft silt of the riverbed. Orenda gasped as her feet slipped against a rock and her whole body was dragged beneath the water. She thrashed and kicked, desperate to right herself, but the current was too strong. It would have carried her away for good if a hand hadn't caught her. The stranger dragged her to the other side of the river by the back of her shawl. She could not see them, but their hands felt only slightly larger than hers. Finally, they laid her down, and she rolled over to see her rescuer. It was the Mohawk boy. You. Arenda's eyelids drooped, and exhaustion claimed her. Arenda dreamed of flying, not the soaring freedom of an eagle, but a steady glide low over the frozen earth, through the trees, over the river, and into blackness, warm, comforting darkness. Then she opened her eyes and saw Tala. Sister, you're awake. Tala, you're alive. Careful, Tala, don't shock her. She's been through a lot. Orenda sat up, nearly headbutting her sister. Though she still wore her light green frock, Tala did not look as young as she had that summer. She was tall and standing on her own. At her sister's words, she retreated to a pot of stew by the fire, stirring it gently. Kunwakari stood off to the side, smiling. They were in a cave, warm, cozy, and safe. The boy they had spotted in the fields bustled back and forth, carrying crops inside from the elements. Where am I? We're in Shikalami's home, or his family's home. They're actually quite nice. We have to get out of here. Calm down, sister. There's no danger. Then why didn't they let you return to me? This is going to be hard for you to hear, but bear with us. We weren't kidnapped. Tala left because she was curious about the boy and, well, you know, they were playing. She lost track of time and couldn't find her way back. Sorry, Orenda. And you, Kanwakari, what's your excuse? It was the river that prevented me from returning. It became too cold and too dangerous for me to go back. But I promised myself that if you hadn't found us by then, I was going to make a fresh effort in the spring. We were going to come back for you. Arenda? I just... I can't believe that this whole time I've been worrying about you, you were completely fine. You're mad at us? I... I've never been happier. But I'm not letting you two out of my sight ever again. <laughs> Some things never change. Orenda was introduced to the boy named Shikalami and his family, all of whom were overjoyed to have guests during the winter. Despite her fears, Orenda had to admit that living with humans wasn't so bad after all. 
When summer came again, the three sisters showed the humans everything they knew about planting and harvesting corn, beans, and squash. And in return, the humans provided shelter and friendship. The ordeal that the sisters went through to discover their new family soon became nothing but a memory. But nothing lasts forever. One summer, their plants began to wither and blacken on the vine. The blight was coming, and it would soon spread further than any of them could anticipate. There was no safety, even in the cave that belonged to the humans. The humans grew melancholy and quiet. A silent fear spread between them. Orenda and her sisters watched as even the bright and enthusiastic Shikalami lost his playful edge. Finally, Orenda approached her sisters with somber news. The humans are leaving. They want us to come with them. Leaving? Where to? They don't know for sure. They only know if they stay here, we'll all die. And they'll die if they don't take us along with them. You're right, Tala. They need us as much as we need them. Well, Gunwakari, it turns out you were right all along. We should have moved earlier. This message wouldn't have come so suddenly. You couldn't have known. But I could have listened. Gather your things. Make sure you don't forget anything important. Sisters? What is it, Tala? Mm. I'm scared. We all are. Keep your chin up. We're going to make it. Let's just put one foot in front of the other, huh? The three sisters, Arenda, Tala, and Kanwakari, stepped out into the world, leaving behind everything they had ever known. The blight was so thick behind them, they could almost see it, rising above the crops like a plume of thick, black smoke. Arenda was more terrified than she had ever been in her life. She could see their human friends walking ahead of them, and they followed carefully in their tracks. But she was determined. She had lost hope before. She never would again. Hope would survive as long as the three sisters had each other. The three sisters are personified versions of the three crops that the Iroquois thrived on, corn, beans, and squash. The golden-haired eldest sister in the green shawl represents corn, or maize. The youngest sister in lighter green represents beans, who can't stand up without support from her older sister, corn. And the middle sister in yellow represents squash, who shades the mound they're all planted on and holds moisture in the soil for corn and beans. Referred to as sustainers of life, these three crops support one another, and the moral of the three sisters is one of loyalty. Despite their differences, these three survive and thrive because of the ways they complement each other, even when outside forces seek to tear them apart. Like many Native American legends, the tale of the three sisters spreads and changes through many different local traditions. A Cherokee version of the story aligns the three sisters with one of the most infamous tragedies of American colonization. In the mid to late 1800s, tens of thousands of Native Americans were forced to relocate from their ancestral homes to land chosen by the United States government. During their migration, 
thousands of Native Americans perished in a death march that would later be known as the Trail of Tears. The Cherokee iteration of this story tells of how the three sisters helped each other survive the long journey to their new home, perhaps as a metaphor for how people like the Cherokee would have to continually adapt to a world that had grown hostile to them since the arrival of the white man. Traditions like the Three Sisters would have a heightened importance because it was a way for their cultural practices to survive, even when their very land was being stolen from them. The Iroquois have continued to fight for the preservation of their own culture up to the modern day. At the turn of the 20th century, they faced the Indian Termination Policy, where the United States government made efforts to legally dissolve Native American tribes. Lawmakers defended the policy as a way of assimilating Native Americans into mainstream American society, but many saw it as a cultural erasure. In 1953, the six Iroquois nations attempted to negotiate the ownership of their land with Congress. The bill died in committee. Today, the story of the three sisters is taught to educate young Americans about the history of their land and the wisdom of diversifying crops. It's a tale of childlike innocence and wonder for the natural world, even if the details of the story itself concern a family slowly getting torn apart before it is brought together again. The crops that inspired the three sisters grew beyond a bit of agricultural trivia. For their importance to indigenous American culture, an image of these crops was printed onto the back of the 2009 Sacagawea dollar a touching homage to a long-lasting cultural tradition, even if a dollar coin will never be enough to buy back stolen land. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back on Tuesday with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Rebecca Thomas, and Jen Wong. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 
Hey, Parcasters, don't forget to check out the brand new Spotify original from Parcast, Incredible Feats. Join host Dan Cummins as he explores true accounts of weird, wonderful, and all-out wild achievements. New episodes premiere daily Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.